Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. The sun sinks behind the western horizon and darkness descends. Those who have been attentive have felt darkness all day long, but now it officially arrives. Shabbat Shalom. And yet the deeds of the last 24 hours linger like death in the air. The Sabbath has arrived, the queen of the week. The Sabbath is the time to gather as family, to welcome the queen of the week, to focus on God and his work, God and his grace, God and his goodness. Shabbat Shalom. And yet if you're attentive in the city of Jerusalem, there are four individuals or groups, four individuals or groups that tell the tale of these most recent hours. The first are the Roman authorities, the soldiers, the guard, Pilate. Look in on the soldiers and you see a scene of festivity and merriment. They're gathered at different places throughout the city, but the ones on which we look are in the Antonia Fortress, just outside of the temple grounds. They slurp their food and slosh their drink. They say, Hail to Caesar. It's just been another day of enforcing the might of Rome's power. The crucifixion of three men that's of minor consequence, hardly worth a Sunday afternoon yawn. If you question that, I want you to listen to these words, taken from the author Simon Montefiore in his epic volume, Jerusalem, the Biography. They describe not that weekend, but a day four decades later when Jerusalem would fall, fully fall, to Titus and his invading hordes. I read them because they are illustrative of the crush of Rome's heavy boot. What was true then would have been true earlier in terms of the attitude toward this far-flung province of the Roman Empire. Montefiore writes, of that time of destruction with these words. Around the walls there were gruesome scenes that must have resembled hell on earth. Thousands of bodies putrefied in the sun. The stench was unbearable. 
Packs of dogs and jackals feasted on human flesh. In the preceding months, Titus had ordered all prisoners or defectors to be crucified. Five hundred Jews were crucified each day. The Mount of Olives and the craggy hills around the city were so crowded with crucifixes that there was scarcely room for any more, nor trees to make them. Titus' soldiers amused themselves by nailing their victims splayed and spread-eagled in absurd positions. So desperate were many Jerusalemites to escape the city that as they left, they swallowed their coins to conceal their treasures, which they hoped to retrieve when they were safely clear of the Romans. They emerged, puffed up with famine and swelled like men with dropsy, but if they ate, they burst asunder. As their bellies exploded, the soldiers discovered their reeking intestinal treasure troves, so they started to gut all prisoners, eviscerating them and searching their intestines while they were still alive. But Titus was appalled and tried to ban these anatomical plunderings. To no avail, Titus' Syrian auxiliaries, who hated and were hated by the Jews with all the malice of neighbors, relished these macabre games. The cruelties inflicted by the Romans and the rebels within the wall compare with some of the worst atrocities of the 20th century. Three men on crosses? Ha! What else is new? What's up next? They toasted and celebrated except for one man in the corner. His hand trembles a bit as he gulps the liquid courage from the mug. He keeps replaying the scene in his mind, the darkness, the earthquake, the regal dignity of the man in the middle. He has no way to account for the words that escaped from his own lips at 3 o'clock. Surely, this was the Son of God. And there's one other man, troubled. He's just across the city in the citadel. A man slumped in his chair, staring into space, whose wife continues at him with a staccato-like voice. I told you not to have anything to do with him. Why did you do it? Pilate has washed and rewashed his hands. Many days to come, we'll see him sending Servant scurrying on the errand of finding soap. Find me some soap. The servants nod and run, knowing that there is no soap like Pilate desires because only he can see the bloodstains on his hands. Shabbat shalom. The Romans. There's a second scene. A second scene that unfolds. Is it on the temple grounds? Is it in the home of Caiaphas? They've gathered there after sunset. 
Oh, they had left the scene of Golgotha. They had left with a specific errand in mind. Get the governor to send soldiers, break their legs, Sabbath is coming. They received the report. But Nazarene was already dead. That was good news indeed. But they had to rush home from Golgotha together with family to be able to together sing, Day is dying in the West. And now they gathered at night. There were hugs. There were squeezes. There were kisses on cheeks. There was celebration. We did it. It had to be done. It had to be done. Now we will restore dignity. We will regain respect. We have protected our religion. We have preserved our nation. You know it had to be done. But somehow as you look at the scene, the merriment seems superficial. There's a grim fear lurking beneath. Finally, one voices it. You remember, don't you, he says. You remember what that deceiver said? Do you remember? Everyone did. Oh, they remembered. Well, there is no way he's rising from the dead, but what if they steal his body? Then they can say whatever they wish. And so they plot, and they scheme, and they plan. First thing in the morning, back to the governor's. Don't let anyone see you. After all, it's Shabbat. But we must secure a guard, seal the tomb. Make sure nobody makes off with the body of that itinerant deceiver. And they will pass the hours of Shabbat scheming, plotting, planning. Shabbat Shalom. A third group gathers. This one, I can't tell where it is. Maybe you can see. They've gathered in, in, in a house. The door is barred, chairs stacked against the door. It's the followers, the disciples, the friends of Jesus. They gather in fear, profound fear. They're going to come and get us. Did you see what they did to him? But beneath the fear, grief. And beneath the grief, guilt. How could we have... How, how could we have done that? How could we have run? 
How could we have abandoned him at the moment of his greatest need? How could we have done that? The guilt is crushing, but so too is the grief. Though they don't know it yet, one of them will express the grief about 36 hours from now. Staggering down the pathway on the road to Emmaus, joined by a stranger who, where have you been? How do you not know what happened? What do you mean what happened in Jerusalem? Are you the only one who doesn't know? And so the whole story will tumble out. And that disciple, that follower, will say to the stranger, we had hoped that he was the one. We had hoped. That's over now. Dead, gone, finished. Their sweetest, fondest dreams, their deepest, most passionate prayers, everything for which not only they, but the history of their people had yearned had arrived only to lie now in a garden tomb. They, they, they wavered back and forth between shock and heart-wrenching, body-racking sobs. It couldn't be real, but it was too real. They wouldn't sleep this night or who knew for how many nights to come. Frightened, guilty. Shabbat shalom. And there's a fourth. A fourth. This one lies. Body bruised, broken, bloodied, lies in a stone-cold tomb. What can be said about this one? Matthew records these words to describe what happened. Beginning in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 57, he writes, As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priest and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. The last deception will be worse than the first. 
Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. They went a bit too far, it seems. Sealing a tomb to keep a dead body inside. Posting a guard lest the corpse walk away. Well, you've certainly made sure that whatever happens at this tomb will be known widely and well by the Roman cohort. And he lies in a stone-cold tomb. It's most interesting what Jesus said toward and at the very end. Just last night, as he prayed for his relationship to his Father, as he prayed for his disciples, as he prayed for us, here's one thing he said. He prayed to his Father and said, I have finished the work you gave me to do. And then when he hung on the cross, his voice just moments from death and yet in trumpet-like tones would cry out, It is finished. You see, he's been busy at work. He's been busy with all the passion, with all the energy, with all the love contained in his soul, he has been busy building a bridge, a bridge that would stretch from the presence of God right into your heart. He's been building that bridge. That's what the Father gave him to do. The bridge would be called the kingdom of God. And when he comes to the end, he says, Father, I have finished the work you gave me to do. It is finished. As he hung on the cross, he could hang there with the certainty that the errand on which he had been sent had been accomplished. And he bowed his head and died. And now he rests in a stone-cold tomb. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of a story at the very beginning of Scripture where God was busy at work. The first day, the second day, the third day, all week long, at the end of which it said, God finished His work. So God rested. It is finished, he cried. And he rested. Shabbat 
shalom. Sunday's coming. When we finish singing, we invite you to slip quietly from the sanctuary and go home with all that has here transpired in your hearts. Shabbat Shalom.